Well done. Good work meeting a new friend. Maybe seeing an old friend. So glad that you're here today. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here uh, at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. And um, glad you're here. This week, I actually just met a new friend in town. And they asked, uh, uh, we were talk- I was talking about church, and they asked our name. And I said, well, we're at Hope Community Church, Columbia Heights. And he said, oh, that's a long name. I said, yeah, it is. Hopefully you'll remember it. You want to come? No, didn't want to come. But if he comes, it counts. It counts on my, on my score. So that person comes. Uh, anyway, we don't actually do that. Uh, I am uh, really thankful. This is going to maybe feel a little uh, cheeseball-y, corny, but I, I'm genuinely, the last few weeks of my life have uh, been a little extra hard and really thankful for all of you guys um, and for lots of friends and family who have cared well for our family. Um, and if, if you've been around for a few weeks, uh, you notice we got the, uh, you got like the sweet buffet. Uh, all, all four of our elders preached and uh, shared. And some of those guys uh, did that uh, a little bit last minute, uh, stepped in for our family because a few weeks ago, my mother passed away after kind of a long decline from some strokes. Uh, this is a little piece of like the memory board that we had at her uh, funeral. Um, and so two weeks ago, we had her funeral. And uh, in that time, uh, many of you um, really supported us and encouraged us. And especially not just, um, we, we've met, many, I mean, it's one of those moments in your life, you realize how many people you kind of have around or in your village. Uh, and uh, many of those things weren't necessarily people said anything that was profound uh, or did anything profound. Just many of you... Uh, gave us hugs and just said, we love you. We're praying for you. Uh, it, it was a time where we realized like the, the value of that presence, that ministry of presence of being with uh, people um, because it was a time where it was difficult. I know, I know a lot of you have experienced the same thing, losing a parent or uh, a loved one, someone close to you. Uh, there's a quick, quick cloud that seems to come and, and a quick weight that seems to come uh, where death is very real it's something that I think I've learned and maybe we've all learned how to kind of uh, ignore or see, especially in our culture, as, as far away maybe. And it feels very close and it feels very unfair and it feels like wrong and all those things. And, and in that moment, I have the opportunity to kind of do a few different things with, with where I kind of turn myself. And that then changes how I feel, how, how I act, uh, how I interact with those around me. And, and we've been really thankful for those around us that have like continued to uh, kind of hold us up in the midst of that. Um, it also was really hard because I like, loved my mom dearly. My mom was a very fun person. Uh, I, mean, I mean, look at her hair, like back in the day, she was so cool. We drove an Astro van and this is the, you know, you can tell this is all after like a day at Disney or wherever we were, exhausted kids. Um, she's a person too. Not only have I felt like death generally is just so wrong, it feels this isn't right. This isn't what we were made for. But it also was really hard when someone I love who I think, she's, she was a great mom. And, it, and we learned at her funeral from so many people, a good friend and, and cared deeply for people and cared for people and uh, gave sacrificially often in her life. And it felt like, but she was so good. How, how could this be it for her? It feels like a life of working hard. And then this is, this is it. And thankfully, because I think of the people around us and because of the spirit of God and 
um, thankfully, years of being reminded of good news in the gospel. A day like that, two, uh, two weeks ago at my mom's funeral, uh, there, we could actually feel joy, even in the midst of grieving, in the midst of, of sadness, uh, because of some really important things as we think about death. And so today's passage uh, that we're in, I think, speaks to this. And so I'm excited to share with you a story um, of how our family is, is uh, grieving through this because of the story of the, really the first family in scripture and how all of that kind of connects us to our pastor today in Romans. So excited to share that with you and hopefully understand why on a day where I'm uh, celebrating my mom's life and mourning her death, uh, there's a different hope. Uh, I just want to remind us of that today as we look. We are in a series in Romans and we will be for a while and we're just starting the book. We're still in chapter number one. Uh, a couple of things too, we keep saying this, but just a reminder, there's a lot of resources for this. And our, our senior pastor, Steve, has been studying Romans and leading a Romans retreat where they, we read through Romans for a week together and really study it for many, many years. And he has kind of put together uh, best of moments as he walks us through Romans. So that podcast has been a real blessing to me um, uh, as well. Also, we have scripture journals. If anyone wants one, they're free to you. They're out on the tables, uh, just Roman ones. If you want to just be able to journal and process and as we go through this, those are a gift to you. All right, we are in a section in Romans, uh, the first chapter that starts with a kind of a thesis statement. If you remember um, some uh, weeks ago, we shared this and I kind of, I uh, illustrated it by explaining how it kind of looks like uh, the diagrams in a model, if you built a model, where we kind of take like, this is what it looks like. And then if we blow it out to all the pieces, this statement is kind of the big summary of what the book of Romans is gonna unpack for us, what this looks like. And so we wanna remember this because in the, the, the pages after this, um, especially this passage right directly after this, seems to take a quick shift. We wanna remember this is still the where we're starting. This is still the good news that we heard um, as we end today this section. But let's read this first. This is Romans 1, uh, 16 through 17. I'll, I'll read up here. Everything will be on the screen. You can follow along or, or open your Bibles. Love that too. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul, the guy who writes this letter to this people, this church in Rome, wants to remind them that this gospel, this good news that he's sharing with them, this news that Christ has come and done the work to rescue us, to bring us back to God, to pay the price for the penalty that we owe. Uh, this, this good news comes to us through faith, through believing that this is true, that Jesus is who he says he is. God is who he says he is, turning to God and putting our faith in him. And that's what righteous, being right, that's how it comes. Being right with God comes by faith in God. And then it quickly turns, the next sentence says, for the wrath of God is revealed. It says, and it's gonna explain, but we, we don't turn to God and put faith in him. And this is what it looks like. It looks like gossip and slander. It looks like murder. It looks like ultimately exchanging good things for not good things, for lies, for truths. And so we start holding on to lies, which then change how we behave, change how we interact with each other, change how we interact with God. And ultimately we start worshiping creation, created things, not the creator God who created them. So this is a long passage. And for four weeks now, we've decided to go through Romans 1, 18 through 32, which unpacks this 
wrath of God and how God uh, allows us, kind of lets us off our leash. He says, run after those things. They're not gonna bring life like you think they are. Life comes in turning towards me, putting faith in me, believing in me. And this section ends with this phrase, sort of a flip almost of the beginning of it. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So even though they know what is right, how God has the, the right thing, how God has created things to be, they still turn from them and they know that the penalty for that is still death. That phrase here says, deserve to die. Also some translations say, worthy to die. One actually says, they become full of death. That would, that would not like hit, hit me more. It feels like less of just an end point of like at one day you'll die, but it feels like you're like gathering and filling like your cart with death, with deathly things, with darkness. And ultimately turning from God does that. And so it's even though we know that's what happens, that happens. So there's a few things here we wanna kind of look at what, why these would be in here. So words like uh, they know God's righteous decree. What is God's righteous decree? What does that mean? What has God said that is right that we're turning from? And then deserving death, full of death, worthy of death seems like a strong statement. Like they've just disobeyed and then they die for that. And then not only do they do it, but Paul adds this thing, but they give approval to those or they allow others or even encourage others to do the same. So not only are you turning from, from God, maybe worshiping created things and not the creator, the thing that actually brings us joy and peace, brings us life, but you've, you've even encouraged others around you. And I think this is a lot sneakier than we think. Um, I think this is easy to think of uh, people who have done terrible things. And then we say, oh yeah, of course they deserve death. Yeah, and they've encouraged others to do terrible things. But I think uh, hopefully today, as we look at kind of the first family in scripture, we'll be reminded of how this puts us in this place, especially as we focus on this deserving of death. I think it's really important as I uh, spent some days thinking a lot, a lot about this, feeling the weight of like this death thing feels so wrong. And I also then in that, focused a lot on the death thing. And I lost sight of really the thing that should bring great joy and the real kind of scandalous, incredible part of the story. And so that's my hope here. Um, I think in this, it's very easy to say deserving of death. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. I think even in our culture, that's not a phrase that at first when I was studying this with some friends, they said, uh, man, it's, I mean, how could you imagine someone saying that someone deserves death? And then, uh, I thought, yeah, that's wild. I mean, who would say that? And then uh, we took a break and then it took like three seconds of scrolling on social media and somebody was very upset about like a, a, a call in a game and the comments pretty quickly go to uh, who deserves death and statements and, then, and where they'd like them to go when they die uh, in statements. I, I don't think it's where that... It's that far or that foreign of a feeling even. If you hear about something terrible and you go, those, I wish those people would die. I wish we'd hang them up for that. I think quickly we can decide, we know what's, what's right. And, and these people do not and they're terrible. And 
And I think even calling for people to die is not, the, the deserving of death isn't that foreign to how we feel. And I think God uh, in this, hopefully as we look at this story in Genesis, we'll be reminded of, of why uh, the good news is good news. No, so let's get to this. So this is a story. Uh, this is the reality of how things started. We're gonna go all the way back to Genesis. Uh, the beginning as God created the world, has created people, his people, his family. He created animals and all things. And this really is a, what's echoed back in Romans a lot. Paul wants to go back to say, this is how God had made it. And then this is how it kind of got broken. And this is how Jesus has fixed it. This is the good news. So we're gonna go all the way back. So God creates people. He creates Adam and Eve. Um, and then this is just uh, to kind of lay some of the framework for this family that he makes, uh, the first family. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, to take care of it. And God, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Incredible. Look at this beautiful garden. You can eat of all of them. You can take in all of that. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So when we hear a phrase like God's righteous decree. He says, here's what's right. This is what life looks like. In this, live in this way and life will be prosperous and good. Um, the, there'll be peace and joy. This is the way I made you to live. He does this with, with Adam, right? For Adam and Eve in the garden, he tells them, hey, there's this beautiful garden, but I'd like you to not eat from this tree. There's this opportunity uh, that you might have. And I want you to turn from that because that thing actually will bring you death where you might think it would bring you life and it won't. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones says this. She says, you see, God knew if they ate the fruit they would think they didn't need him. We're gonna see in the story how this plays out. And they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew that there was no such thing as happiness without him. And life without him wouldn't be full of life at all. Isn't that great? This is her, her little parentheses after this moment. God says, I, I know you, you're gonna have a moment where you might think life without me, with just creation around you, is gonna be enough and it won't. And I don't want you to experience that. That ultimately is gonna bring death. That's what death is, is life without me. And that is not what you think it is. And so we find Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden being given God's righteous decree and knowing turning from God in his way, ultimately worship of him would bring death. And someone comes and speaks to them and things change forever. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. A serpent enters the scene, a snake, uh, an adversary to God. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? That amazing, the first right away gets that doubt in there. Did he, did he really say you can't eat of that tree? Well, we could rewind right to the, it's in print. Uh, yes, that is all he said. Uh, yes, do, do not eat of that one tree. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. 
So she knew, she repeated what God had said, said, hey, you, you have all these trees. I'm asking you to not, not eat this one. It actually will bring death to you. So it's, it's going pretty well. So Satan, the serpent comes, asks her, gets kind of feeds this doubt in her. Are you sure God said that? And she says, no, that is what God said. And she actually even repeats, or it'll bring death. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. She says, God said this, and if we don't do that, it'll bring death. And then the serpent, Satan says, that's not true. So there's clearly now a person you have to believe and a person you don't believe. Clear, we call that a lie when it's not true <laughs> and truth when it is true. And so the serpent tells her a lie and says, you won't. And actually God is, is keeping something from you. God is actually giving them everything. The glorious, gracious, abundant life. And he says, he's keeping something from you. So you should eat it because he's actually hiding something from you. You're not gonna have the life that you, that, that you want when they're already in the life they want. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. You hear those things? It looked good. It probably was, looked tasty. It probably smelled good. It would make you wise. She took its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, this is uh, very much what we've been reading in Romans. In Romans, it says, we think we're wise, but we're actually foolish. We exchange a lie for truth. It's all happening right here. And it continues to happen all the way till right now. We still feel the same thing and experience the same thing. And what happens, they, they decide to turn to this. They believe the lie and it changes them. How they feel, how they act. They now feel ashamed. They notice their nakedness and they cover themselves up. For the first time, people have to cover themselves. Before that, they were completely vulnerable, com completely open. This is who I am and this is, I'm naked. If you, there's actually a phrase in the scripture before this, they were naked and unashamed and now they're naked and they have to cover themselves. The result was death, but not just death like in the moment you're gone, death like, oh, all those deathly things, shame and guilt, isolation, loneliness, covering up, they instantly see themselves differently. You ever felt that? That felt that I need to cover myself up. There's something about me that I don't want others to see or they won't want to see. I don't want to see. Sally Joyne says, a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love you. That's what, that's what Satan was getting at. Sneaky, right? He could have just said, hey, God doesn't love you. You should eat from the tree. Instead, he says, are you sure he's telling the truth? You, you want this thing. This will bring you all your dreams, your hopes. This will bring you life when it doesn't. And so they experience this moment that will continue for a very long time where they're now covered and they feel death. They're full of death. And they actually end up leaving the garden 
And uh, they actually start a family. They, they're cursed by this. And this becomes the real family tradition of all of humankind. It's this curse that we have turned from God and that we uh, are really full of death because we continue to turn to things that aren't God. And they actually start a family. They have two sons we know of here. This is the part of the story I really want us to think about today as we think uh, about the hopefulness and the good news that we hear in the gospel. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and they conceived and bore Cain, it's her son, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You can hear that? It's kind of cool. Like they've, there's this, I think sometimes in my mind, I think, well, Adam and Eve, that was a terrible mistake. And they just lived like a sad life where they kept turning from God. But in this moment, uh, they became pregnant and they said, I got a man with the help of the, God has given us a child. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. So we have the Abel, the sheep, and Cain was working the ground. And in the course of time, Cain, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. So Cain worked in the ground. He brings things that he had grown to give to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So they both had things that God had given them through their work and they came and gave it to the Lord. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. He liked it. He accepted it. He said, thank you, Abel. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Something was different about the way they offered, they worshiped God and turned to him and offered the things. They were blessed with something and really gave it back to the Lord. Some, something was different. And Abel's was something that the Lord regarded, accepted, and Cain's was something that he did not. So Cain became very angry and his face fell. I love that image in there. This is a common image in scripture we see as people turn away from God or become very distraught, become very angry or sad or, or grieving, their faces fall. So Cain in that moment goes, the Lord did not accept my offering. Or maybe he was angry that his brother's was and his wasn't. I, I, I don't know Cain, um, but I, I have a brother. And if my brother... <laughs> got more approval in me at any moment. My anger would not be about the approval in this. It'd be more that my brother got it and I didn't get it. And there might be some of that going on here. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire, it's desire is, to contrary, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So here's, God says, Cain, why are you upset? And then he gives this great phrase, which I think would be a very strong phrase in their household. I would assume that in their household, as they sat around at night, uh, Papa Adam would be telling stories of their family, right? Like all of our parents told us stories, except they have pretty wild stories. Do you remember? He'd say, do you remember the time when God made me out of the earth? <laughs> And then he took, we know he took mom out of your rib and it was so cool. And I got to name all the animals and they would make fun of their dad because he called them hippos. And they're like, dad, that's such a dumb name. And I mean, what a crazy family, right? My parents were like there, like they'd say, we know what it's supposed to be like. And they'd say, you don't know. And they're like, we know. God like was with us and told us what was right, what was wrong. 
told us that we're, we're created to live a life where we have relationship and turn to the Lord, that we worship him and him alone, that true happiness and joy and contentment, life comes from relationship with him and not turning to other things. That we believe the lie of a snake that said we should turn from him, that he, is, he has some secret plot against us, that he doesn't love us. I mean, I feel like I had to have grown up with like, boys, you don't want this. This is death. What we experience now is full of death because of that. Keep turning to the Lord. I don't think it was that like God didn't like vegetables that came broad or he liked sheep more because Abel brought. I think there was a, a, a position in the, heart, in the heart there of Abel saying, here's my first thing I get. I want to give back to you. And maybe Cain thought, I just got to do this thing. And so God said, I I want you to consider this. And then he warns him and he says, sin is crouching at the door. So you have to think as he heard the story over and over again of the snake slithering in to talk to his mom, he has to picture a snake crouching ready, right? An animal ready to pounce on you. Death always there, ready. And his desire is contrary to you. Its desire is to turn you from God, to rule over you. Its desire is to be one that encourages you to do things that are not of the Lord, like we just maybe heard. So what happens to Cain? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. He apologized. They made it right. They hugged it out. No. And they were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. I mean, the, the anger that would have welled up, the, the anger maybe even towards the Lord in that, and he took it out on his brother. All that, th- I mean, this is the definition of what we've been reading. In, in Romans, he exchanges a lie. He allows us to take over. Sin comes in and says, this is what will satisfy you if you just can get rid of your brother. And he does. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. I am my, my brother's keeper. What a wild thing, right? This looks a little bit like the garden when God comes and he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? After they've sinned, right? He knows where they are. Where are you? He says, hey, where's your brother? I'm not in my brother's keeper. Well, you actually, you're created to care for one another and be with each other. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood for your hand. That's an image, huh? The blood of your brother cries out of this death that you've brought. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength. The thing thing that I gave you, the blessing I gave you is that you'd be good at working this ground and now it it won't produce like it did. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. See, I mean, he, he knows his future is going to be, I mean, he's famous. He's going to walk around and wander. And they're going to go, that's the Cain guy. That was Adam and Eve's son. He's, Someone who killed his brother. God banished him again. It's the same story. You wonder if in that moment that all is rushing in, you have to know even as then his mom and dad hear the story. 
They hear what's happened and they're weeping over this. Like it's happened again. Our family has turned from God and it's brought death. It's full of death. And now again, we're cast away, lonely, far away. Again, how can this keep happening? And Cain says, "Uh, they'll kill me. I mean, this is pretty much a death sentence. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. It's interesting. God doesn't just like kill him in that moment, just like he didn't kill Adam and Eve. He actually has grace for him. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. To say, hey, we don't, I'm gonna put some of this mark on you so God, so people will not kill you. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's a wild story. Especially to sit in it and feel it. And now this happens and then his parents have to then forever live with this as well. I think we, we, we believed the lie and we, and we turned to it and it brought so much death. We are full of death and it just keeps happening. We hear this from the African uh, Bible commentary. Uh, God does not abandon human beings because they have sinned. It seems that even after having chased Adam from the garden, God continued to talk with him and to show him grace as well as his son. It's incredible. In this moment, we might think the phrase, they disobeyed God's righteous decrees and have brought death would mean you disobeyed and now you're done. But instead we hear over and over and over, they turned from God and it has been brought death and they're full of death. But God has shown grace, this like again, another opportunity for them still to turn back to him. So even in a story of death of brothers, a brother killing his own brother, there's still a story of grace. There's still a God in there who says, I still love you and want to make this right. But I think in the midst of that, we fast forward many, many years, we feel the same darkness, the cloud, maybe hopefully not in that extent of life, but you feel the weight, the fullness of death at times a brokenness of the covering up of yourself because something is not right, of the voice that says, are you sure God loves you? Are you sure that he has what's right for you? Are you sure that you're that person that he made you to be? Are you you sure those people really care about you at your church? That, That lie that gets in our hearts and our heads and we turn from God to other things that we think will satisfy and we feel this hazy, fuzzy fog of death that surrounds it. In my uh, moments in mourning my mom's death, this seemed to linger like closer and always in, in front of me. And I think if I sat there in that alone, uh, I would probably just continue to try to turn to new things that might get me out of that cloud. And in light of this first family in Genesis, uh, I think my instinct might be, okay, Drew, they didn't follow God's righteous decree. And so they deserve death. So just follow God's righteous decree. And then this will go away. I mean, very, very practically, I uh, read my Bible more 
because I, I want to be close to the Lord. And part of me in the last weeks has thought, I got to read my Bible so God is, is happy. And some part of me is like, so maybe this won't happen again. Which is kind of seems a little silly because I know it's going to happen again. But there's like, I got to be able to do something that can control this. God, I'm going to pray some more. I'm going to read your word more. I want to be close to you. And part of me, uh, this part of me that still feels this effects of sin and my flesh that still believes these lies of Satan at times says, and then maybe if I do enough, I will be obeying your righteous decree enough. And then death will not come on me or my family again. Which isn't the answer to this. Also in the story of Cain and Abel, I think it's easy to say, oh, I felt that. I'm so glad I'm not a Cain. And I think in the story of Cain and Abel, it's so helpful to know that we're all Cains. You're a Cain. We turn our worship away from God. We become angry. We, we, our heads fall in different ways, right? Maybe it's not even anger. Maybe it's just apathy or maybe it's, I think part of this passage for me also helps shed light onto this. The second part where it says, uh, they, they only do it for themselves, but they also approve of those who practice it. There's an encouragement. If you think, I actually do follow God pretty well. I don't feel full of death. He says, well, also we gotta be careful because we also encourage others to turn away from God. And if you read Genesis two, and then you read this, this sounds a lot like what a snake did in the garden. Paul's now accusing people and ultimately us, we're being a little snake-like, encouraging others to ask, did God really say that? Does God really love you? Encouraging them to go, okay, if I can just get my act together and do better, then death will not come. Which almost brings like another another (laughs) way of like heaping that on. The fog rolls in even more because I try, 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 and it doesn't work. I see this in my life as I encourage others unintentionally at times, I think, to maybe worship things other than God. I see this as a parent all the time. There are so many times that I tell my kids to worship me. I I don't mean that. I don't don't think I've ever said you should worship me. (laughs) But how many times have I told my kids that I'm the ultimate source of everything, right? I'm at least like, you're not getting anything unless it's through me. Love, approval, power, right? Screen time. (laughs) I am the source of life for you. So obey me so that you can have life. I don't, I'm not trying to tell my kids don't worship God, but when I'm really uncomfortable or really annoyed, or I, I don't want to look like a bad parent, I quickly go into a mode where I'm actually encouraging my kids, get your act together. Look to me as your source of the things that actually come from God. I'm actually encouraging my kids in a way to not follow God's righteous decree. I, I do this, I think, as I approve at times of gossip. I would never really say it, it's gossip, but I know there's many times I love hearing a juicy story. And if someone's sharing about what coworker or family member, especially that one family member, it's so fun to hop in and add to that. Oh yeah, I heard that too. And when we were little, this always happened. Oh, they're so crazy. They're the worst. We're so good. And they're not. I, I feel that too. I feel that pull to actually almost encourage those around us to not 
obey the righteous decrees of God, to turn to him, to be in relationship with him. Sometimes this even happens as I listen to a friend share something that I know is unhealthy, ungodly, something God did not create them, create them for. But in the moment, I just so want their approval. And I say, oh yeah, you do you. Oh, I feel it. I feel it. I am so much a cane like the rest of us. And I feel stuck. It even happens, I think, as a pastor. If I'm not careful, I will preach a sermon to you and tell you, get your act together, right? We'll start a sermon series. And you can go online and click on them and then you can listen to the sermon. And don't be a cane, you know, or the week Jordan came and said, be better and stop sinning. Get out there and stop sinning, everybody. You know, remember the sermon from Jared when he said the power is in you? He yelled at all of us and we had to buy his books and go to his seminar. <laughs> if, this, if this was it, if right now this moment was it, I'd go, okay, guys, go and let's, let's follow God's righteous decree so that we don't feel full of death, so that death does not come. Uh, we will try that and it will fail and we'll try it again and it'll fail. And then I will go to a funeral of another loved one and I'll say, I've been trying it and it hasn't worked but there is great hope. And two weeks ago, I sat with my family and I felt great hope because of the passage we read as we started our time together. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for is the power of God for salvation, for rescue, for, for pulling us out of a life full of death to everyone who believes. So what's the answer to this? Belief, faith. Turn to God, God, I believe you're the source of life. And that Christ died on a cross so that I would not have to pay this death that I deserve. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want to be right with God, full of life. And the answer to that is turning to Christ. He is the source of life, putting my faith in him. He's the one who changes a foggy, darkened world to a glorious world. The answer to, I don't know how to do this is turn to the Lord. He will change your heart and change your life and change your mind. And you'll begin to see the way you feel and the way you act. Those things change as we remember what Christ has done. As we remember that Christ is the one who died on a cross and his blood cries out like Abel's blood cries out. And it cries out, death is dead. Because we killed him on the cross like Cain kills his brother Abel. But it's not just Adam and Eve's son now, it is God's son who is perfect and righteous. And as he dies and raises from the dead, he takes us with him. And that death that we deserved, that we do deserve, is put on Jesus and now he gives us life. What an incredible thing. We can become friends with God. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way in 2 Corinthians. I love this picture of him. Just makes me wanna give him a hug. He says, become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong. So we could put right, be right with God. This is just his paraphrase of a, of a passage. We, we hear this in the song we're gonna to sing today, uh, Scandalous Beautiful Night at the wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree on that beautiful, scandalous night, you and me 
We're atoned, we're made right by his blood and forever washed white on that beautiful, scandalous night. That's the real scandal. The scandal isn't we turn from God and he brings death. And you think, that's so unfair. That seems so wrong. What, what a terrible God. The scandal is that we deserve death and God didn't give us death. He gave us his son who died for us. And now we have life. And that's what we hear in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, right? The passage that Eugene paraphrased, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin, to take that death we deserved so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We, you got to hear this. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You understand this exchange that happens? We exchange every day lies for truths and we turn from God and every day we get uh, our wages in the mail. Every day we get the, hey, this is what you've done today. You deserve this, death. And God takes that and he says, I put that on Christ already. Well, what do I have to do, guy? I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything. You just have to turn to me, put faith in me. I'll change you. I'll work through you. We, this is like every day I wake up, right? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The answer is not, don't be Cain. The answer is we are Cain and Christ has come to rescue us from that. And that's the power of salvation that's what Paul doesn't want you to go, oh, I'm terrible. I'm sorry. He wants you to go, no, no, that's just not life. God has made a life for you. It's in Christ. It's in faith in Christ. I'm going to welcome our worship team up here. We're going to sing together. And today we have some songs where we're going to sing words that ring very true to this. Words that we sing because when I sat at my mom's funeral, I could say these words and they were true that my mom said yes to Jesus. She said, I have faith that Jesus has done the work to rescue me. And so when I sat at her funeral, I could say, my mom said, yes. She said what we read in, in Romans 1, 16 and 17. And so I know today that that death that she deserved, that sweet woman deserved, doesn't exist for her. That she gets life with Christ because of his work. And that, that's hope that I can live with. Let me ask a few questions here, just as we can continue to respond. We're gonna take some time now to respond and, and really think about this and worship God and just even just say, thank you for this good, good news. That that death that we all deserve, that we can't escape, Christ has made a way to come. Do you know that Jesus' blood cries out, death is dead? His blood's crying out right now. I have given myself so you could have life. That's what we actually get to do at communion. You get an opportunity to go into the hallway and take communion and remember his blood that was shed and his body that was broken. We encourage all of you to take that opportunity if you follow Christ as, as a way to remember this good news that his blood cries out, death is dead. Maybe consider what lies you're hearing or, or, or even telling yourself or who's telling you to turn from God. Who speaks truth to your weary heart? This is one where in the opposite way of someone encouraging us to turn from God, who's the one who says, uh, Lord loves you. He's with you and I'm with you. This is what we got to experience and continue to experience through many of you, a, a hug and a, we love you and the Lord is good. He's with you. Thank God Christ has made a way for you and for your mom. 
Also this week, you might meet someone who needs to know about this beautiful, scandalous grace. But the real scandal is that people who are worthy of death have been rescued from it. And there's a good God that we get to worship now together. I encourage you to take communion, uh, to sing, take time to pray. There's people in the back of the room who'd love to pray for you. I really encourage you to take them up on that. It's one of my favorite parts of Sunday. Um, and you can also give in response. Um, you can do that on our website. Let me pray for us. and We'll take some time to worship together. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness, your mercy, your grace, that when we sat on death row and deserved it, you sent Christ and your love to rescue us. That you sent the one who had no sin to be sin so that we may have your righteousness. Gosh, that's good news. I pray as we sing these words, they would be true. They would heal our hearts. They would mend us. They would fill us that we could go and even overflow this good news to those around us. We pray this in your really good name. Amen.